Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we reverse the chronology of your brain with weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we go on a trip from UFOs to precognition and end up with better science. But first up, here's news of extradition. Failed assassins given their target. The UK High Court has decided that award-winning journalist, writer and WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange can be extradited to America to face laughable charges of spying, just like North Korea and the Soviet Union used to do. Mr Assange is being tortured to death in Belmarsh Prison in Britain for revealing mass murder and torture of innocent unarmed civilians by American soldiers, covered up by American bureaucrats and politicians. Mr Assange suffered a mini-stroke on the first day of the appeal trial. In the Belmarsh Prison video conference room, Mr Assange was visibly extremely unwell, but the judges refused to send a doctor. His eyes were out of sync, his right eyelid would not close, his memory was blurry. The judges excused him from answering questions, but wouldn't let him leave the video room to get medical care. He had to listen to the American prosecutor say that his mental health issues were made up and he was ready for an American torture prison because their counsellors could stop him from committing suicide. The evidence of his mini-stroke was not taken into account in the judgement that he was fit for America's worst prison despite the events happening before the judge's eyes. Because in political trials, the facts don't matter. The mini-stroke means it's not safe for Mr Assange to fly, but his safety is obviously not an issue for the judges. The judges also wouldn't admit the evidence that the Americans plotted to assassinate Mr Assange, had illegally spied on his private legal conversations, stolen his legal documents, and paid their star witness to lie. The judges accepted the American government's assurances that they wouldn't do the things that they'd threatened to do to him even though Amnesty International pointed out that the American government has broken these promises in many other extradition cases, and can be expected to act in bad faith again. This is a trial to criminalise journalism not just in America, but all over the world. President Obama took the legal advice not to prosecute because it would end the free press and be against the American constitutional protection for free speech and a free press. Vice President Biden supported that decision. President Trump decided to prosecute anyway, as part of his war on the media. President Biden has gone back on everything he said to follow in President Trump's footsteps, as if there'd never been a change of government. The American government's three central accusations are false. The Pentagon has admitted nobody was harmed by WikiLeaks publications. Nothing was hacked, and nothing needed to be hacked. 
whistleblower Chelsea Manning had legal access to all the documents as an American Army intelligence analyst. Manning acted on her conscience and provided documents to WikiLeaks after her superiors, the New York Times and Washington Post, all failed to respond. Asking for, receiving and publishing leaks isn't espionage, it's journalism. Mr. Assange never set foot within American legal jurisdiction, so it's impossible for him to have broken a single American law. Just ask the American torturers in Guantanamo Bay how they bypass the American constitutional ban against torture. Legally, the American government have no claim on him. In the UK, Mr. Assange has been held on remand, awaiting the outcome of this illegal case for over two years. But British law allows people to be held on remand only for a maximum of 176 days, so the British government have no claim on him. The British government has also illegally prevented Mr. Assange from marrying his partner, the mother of his two children. President Biden should drop this case and undo the unconstitutional 1917 Espionage Act and admit that under a rule of law, if you're subject to American laws, then you're also protected by American laws. Prime Minister Scott Morrison should demand that Mr. Assange be admitted to hospital and set free, as Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce has already stated to the press. The British government should set him free as he hasn't broken British or international laws and that journalism was committed outside American jurisdiction. The US and UK justice systems are being abused. The dangerous precedent being set in Julian Assange's case is that journalists anywhere in the world could be tried as spies for revealing American government wrongdoing and state crimes, and by extension, any government's crimes. An attack on the free press is an attack on everyone. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. This is a story of UFOs and psychics for the betterment of science. There's been a rash of UFO TV documentaries and a rash of reports of science fictional super technology. The problem is that ufology retreated in the second decade of the 21st century because most people have a high-quality camera in their pocket at all times. And yet somehow, nobody ever captures a clear photo or video of an unidentified flying object. UFOs have been discussed in the American Congress by elected representatives based on US military reports, without any real information or conclusions. The other part of these documentaries and video leaks are people suggesting that maybe these unidentified aerial phenomena are actually secret American government super technology, anti-gravity and inertialist drives. They would like us to think the American military has super advanced technology. Back in the Cold War with the Soviet Union, 
the Americans fooled the Russians into believing they had real psychics doing remote viewing to find out Soviet military secrets. In reality, the Americans had double agents in place leaking secrets, and they'd broken some Soviet codes. The psychic scam was a way to explain how they got the information without giving up their agents or their knowledge of the Soviet codes. The misinformation campaign worked so well that the Soviet Union wasted time and money trying to get psychic espionage to work for them. There's also been reports of the American military chasing super science research that just happens to match exactly the reports in the UFO videos and documentaries. I reported last year on Dr. Pais's research into inertialist drives, anti-gravity and faster-than-light spaceship engines. When you look into it, you find that they never quite perform the definitive experiments. However, the UFO documentaries and super technology reports seem to be aimed at the general public, perhaps to get us to look away from the American military crimes that seem to be revealed every month. Last week, a story went around social media complete with a link to a published scientific paper. The article claimed that an American scientist working for the military had accidentally discovered how to build a space warping engine, like those in Star Trek, while working on some other unnamed project for the military. The Alcubier drive is a theoretical idea that shows how you may be able to use negative energy to build a space warp engine that creates a bubble of space-time that you can propel faster than light, without violating any laws of physics. The only problem is that it requires more energy than contained in several suns, and that it needs negative energy, which we've never seen. When I first read about the Alcubier drive, I wondered if the Casimir effect could produce something close enough to negative energy to work. Quantum physics tells us that empty space is fizzing with quanta of light that pop into existence for an extremely short period of time and then disappear. The Casimir effect happens when you bring two metal plates very closely together. The closeness of the plates means that some longer wavelengths of light can't exist in the small distance between the plates. There's not enough space. This means that the nothing between the metal plates has less wavelengths of light popping into and out of existence than the empty vacuum. There's less nothing between the plates. This means that there's negative energy between the plates compared to normal space. I searched and found that someone had kindly done the mathematics of Casimir plates as a source of negative energy in our QBS space warp drive. The maths showed that the negative energy of the Casimir plates wasn't strong enough to propel a ship faster than light, but it was enough to generate a space warp that could propel a ship very fast at a big fraction of the speed of light. That's still a really good deal if we can build one. What the scientist in the article was saying was that he could shape a tiny Casimir effect device that could generate a tiny but detectable space warp and maybe lead to faster-than-light travel. The journalist declared that this wasn't just a theory, but a real warp-drive engine. This is what was repeated around social media. Sadly, the small print of the article quoted the scientist as saying he hadn't actually built the device, merely published a paper instructing how such a device might be built. He did have a micron-level 3D printer in his lab, and he could build and test the custom Casimir device with it, but he wouldn't, 
because although it would win him a Nobel Prize and infinite money, he was putting all of his efforts into his unnamed project for the military. This is Harold White, and he has a history of pushing exotic space drives. He was the guy behind the EM drive that was supposed to be an inertialist drive for NASA. That turned out not to work. As a world expert of exotic space drives, it's hard to believe he would miss doing the definitive experiment to prove his theories and instead just publish a paper because he's too busy. However, the whole world was turned upside down by the research of psychologist Daryl Bem. Daryl Bem has a track record as a conscientious scientist with many previous publications. In 2011, he published a paper in a peer-reviewed journal titled Feeling the Future, Experimental Evidence for Anomalous Retroactive Influences on Cognition and Effect. Professor Bem took four well-known psychological effects and reversed them in time in 10 experiments, with results showing precognition instead of cause and effect. He examined the idea that we approach sexual opportunities and avoid harm, the idea of effective priming, we have an emotional response to being exposed to something you've seen before. Habituation, where you respond less to the repeated stimulus over time, and facilitation of recall, where studying helps you remember. For the approach avoidance experiment, he recruited 50 men and 50 women from Cornell University. In each trial, pictures of two curtains appear on the screen side by side. One has a picture behind it, and one a blank wall. Their task was to click on the curtain they felt had the picture behind it. Then the curtain would open, and they were shown what was behind it. There were 36 trials. They signed a consent form that they were okay with seeing consensual, non-violent sex acts in the erotic stimuli. The stimuli were mostly from the International Effective Picture System, a set of digital photos chosen for causing highly emotional responses from both men and women. Each session mixed erotic and non-erotic pictures randomly. The hypothesis was that they would detect the erotic pictures with a greater-than-chance result because there would be an evolutionary advantage for humans with this ability to be naturally selected. After a relaxation period with astronomy photos and New Age music, the curtains were presented. They had to include some trials with only neutral pictures to give people the chance to calm down. They also provided subjects with the choice of being exposed to male-male, female-female, or male-female images. It was made to look like they were testing for distance viewing or clairvoyance, seeing what lies behind the curtain without using their eyes, or at least guess correctly. However, the nature of the image and whether it was hidden behind the left or right curtain was only determined by the random number machine after the participant recorded their guess. So people were not trying to see into the future, nor receive a message from their future selves, but this is what was actually tested. In all 100 sessions, people correctly identified the future position of erotic images statistically significantly more frequently than the 50% success rate expected by chance, whereas the non-erotic images were just at chance levels. The second experiment was testing precognitive avoidance of negative stimuli. For 36 trials, people were shown a neutral picture and its mirror image, side by side, and asked to press a key to show which they liked better. A hardware random number generator was used by the computer to decide after selection which one, right or left, was to be the target. 
If the random number generator and the person chose the same picture, then the computer flashed an emotionally positive picture on the screen three times, too fast for someone to consciously recognise. A subliminal image. If the random number generator and the person chose different targets, then the computer would flash a highly arousing negative emotion picture three times, too quick for conscious recognition. Either result would be followed by a three-second astronomy photo before the next trial. A palate cleanser. The hypothesis was that people would prefer the target image to the non-target image in significantly more than 50% of the trials. Again, the hit rates were slightly but significantly above chance. In a typical effective priming experiment, participants are asked to judge as quickly as they can whether a picture is pleasant or unpleasant. And the response time is measured. Just before the picture appears, a positive or negative word, say beautiful or ugly, is flashed briefly on the screen. This word is the prime. Individuals typically respond more quickly when the emotional meaning of the prime and the target are both positive or both negative than when they're different. For his experiment, Professor Bem did one trial backwards and a second trial forwards to be certain of a correct procedure where priming produces a quicker response and not a slower response. For the first 32 trials, people were shown the randomly chosen positive or negative priming word after they'd already chosen. And in a second round of 32 trials, people were shown the priming words before they made a choice. For the forward trials, the expected results were produced, that participants were 23.6 milliseconds faster when the priming words they saw before they judged whether the pictures were pleasant or unpleasant were emotionally matched, than the trials where the priming words they saw before their choice didn't match the emotional tone of the picture. In the trials where the randomly selected priming word is shown after the participants judge whether or not the pictures were pleasant or unpleasant, people were 15 milliseconds faster when the positive priming words were shown after pleasant images, or the negative words were shown after unpleasant images. A positive result for precognition. In the second priming experiment, the priming words weren't so random. Instead, the random number generator selected from a pair of positive and negative priming words that were relevant to each individual picture. So a picture of a basket of fruit could be paired with a positive prime, luscious, and the negative prime, bitter. And a picture of a menacing bull was paired with a positive prime of friendly and a negative prime of threatening. The computer then selected randomly which of the two words to show. In the forwards experiment, people who saw the matching prime word before judging the picture were 27.4 milliseconds faster than the people who saw mismatched prime words before judging the picture. In the backwards experiment, where people saw the priming words after they judged the picture to be pleasant or unpleasant, people with matched priming words were 16.5 milliseconds faster. This is significant and madness. In a traditional habituation experiment, Participants who'd been subliminally exposed to extremely negative and extremely positive words subsequently rated those words as less extreme than matched control words to which they hadn't been exposed. Negative words were rated less negatively, and positive words were rated less positively than the control words. People get used to them. Habituated. For the negative habituation experiment, 63 women and 37 men from Cornell University were shown two pictures side by side and asked to indicate which one they liked better. 
the computer then randomly selected one of the pictures to be the habituation target and displayed it subliminally several times. This is the reverse order to the standard habituation psychology experiment. The first retroactive habituation experiment used either strongly arousing negative picture pairs or neutral control picture pairs in the 48 trials. The computer then randomly selected one of the two pictures to be the target and flashed it randomly on the left or right side of the screen for 17 milliseconds, followed immediately by a masking stimulus that remained on the screen for 33 milliseconds. The results were again statistically significantly above chance. The next experiment was positive habituation, where the hypothesis was that participants would prefer the target picture, the one to be repeatedly exposed, less than 50% of the time. 87 women and 63 men students consented to be shown erotic pictures side by side and asked to choose the better one. And then a picture was randomly selected by a computer and flashed on the screen too quickly for conscious recognition. Again, the result was significantly above chance that they preferred the target picture less, as if the flashed picture shown after they selected had influenced their choice backwards in time. Normally, you'd be shown a set of words, rehearse using the words and exercises, and then be tested afterwards to see how much the exercises helped. In the time-reversed version, participants were shown 48 words, did the test first, and the rehearsal exercises for 24 of the words afterwards. As a control, Professor Bem also ran trials where people were tested on the 48-word list after seeing them for the first time, but not given any rehearsal exercises. The results were that recall in the test was better for the people who did the exercises after the test, as they remembered more of the words from the exercises, despite them being after the test, than those who did no exercises. They appeared to learn backwards. The second version of the trial was run where, after the recall test, people were shown 24 of the 48-word list again and asked to visualise each of the 24 words. This experiment gave an even higher result above chance than the previous experiment. The wonders of visualisation. Of course, the 70-page paper was refuted before it was even published, and nobody seemed to see the irony in that. The paper was given more peer review than any other paper by people who really wanted Professor Bem to be wrong. The people peer reviewing couldn't find any fault in his methods or analysis. The greatest names in the field tried to tear this apart, but it was so thoroughly documented and rigorously performed that they couldn't fault his methods, or his statistics, just his conclusions. The problem is that the results are ridiculous. Either physics is wrong, and effects can come before causes, or the scientific method is wrong. The question is, if a paper like this that's doing everything normally and properly can end up producing a ridiculous conclusion, then how many other papers that use those exact same methods that didn't reach ridiculous conclusions are similarly flawed? Something had to be done. A group called the Open Science Collaboration organised a massive replication study, and 270 scientists from 17 countries signed up. They picked 100 studies published in the year 2008 as their test sample, all from reputable, peer-reviewed psychology journals. The plan was to repeat 
all 100 experiments exactly as described, and then see what happens. The findings came out in 2015. The results were stunning. Only 36% of replications were successful. Two-thirds of psychology is wrong, and the textbooks are still catching up. It became known as the replication crisis. It changed psychology forever. Since that time, what's known as pre-registration is becoming more common. Researchers writing up how they're going to conduct a study, what their hypotheses are, and how they intend to analyse the data before doing their experiment. This protocol prevents researchers from massaging the data and reporting a positive result until they actually find one. More than 200 scientific journals, both inside and outside psychology, now publish registered reports, reporting their decision whether to accept or reject studies that are submitted before the experiments have actually been performed. So the decision is based on the proposed methodology and not how exciting the results are. Researchers also formed organisations like the Centre for Open Science and the Society for the Improvement of Psychological Science. Outside of psychology, it's still hard to get funding for reproducing work, and it's still hard to get negative results published because they're still seen as less interesting. Daryl Bem has caused a movement that still has some ways to go. Maybe he saw it coming. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley. 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. 
You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.